0: the image of God, you are not a slave to sin. Now, when God does this, it's really easy to understand and sometimes very easy to digest wrap your mind around and really begin to work on For instance, when we talked about the book of John, and we're studying that right now in one of our classes, uh, Jesus will meet a woman who is at a well, there to get water, John chapter he will begin a discussion with her about water. But he will take the physical water in the well and move it to a spiritual concept. And so he will say to her, if you knew who it was that asked you of water, you would have asked me. I have given you living water. But she says, you don't have anything to draw with. So he's going to use the physical water, move to a do the same thing throughout the book of John in chapter 6, he does it with bread. The Jews will say to him, Our fathers ate manna from heaven. And they did. Exodus 16. They ate bread from heaven. The psalmist may refer to it as angel food in Psalm 78. It came from heaven. God poured it down out of heaven. They did eat bread from heaven. But yet Jesus says, Your father didn't eat bread from heaven. No, Moses didn't get you the true bread. He says, they ate that bread and they died. But if you eat the bread that I have, see, I am the living bread. The bread of life is he. It's actually not the man. It's he who comes down from heaven. You need to eat of me and drink of me. And for some of them, they said, that's a hard you know what I'm saying. They just didn't follow him anymore. Ultimately, Jesus is talking about his word. That he is the Bread from heaven and his word is the spiritual thing that he can digest and eat. John 6, 63, he says, It is the spirit that quickeneth and the flesh profit nothing. The word that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are like the eating and, eat and drinking is of his word, of him, his teacher. In John chapter 8, we'll talk about fathers. Same thing. They will say, We have Abraham, our father. And Jesus will say, if Abraham were your father, you would do the words of Abraham.
1: You are of
0: your father, but now, in reality, again, physically speaking, they were the descendants of Abraham. In fact, in the same passage, Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's descendants. And then he pivots and says, but if you were Abraham's seed, spiritually, you'd take Abraham's descendants, but if you were like him spiritually, you'd do the words of Abraham. He goes on to say, you're actually of your father's each other. Now, for the most part, when the Bible does this, it's pretty easy to follow. It's pretty easy to understand. And it's pretty easy to apply. Sometimes, though, God does the same thing, and it's a little more challenging. It's a little more difficult to apply. For instance, if you were to read the book of Hosea or Hosea, you will read about a prophet who is told, "Go marry a woman, a whore." She is not that, but she lives in and long that. And he does. He goes and he marries her, he brings her out of that dynamic, and over time, she begins to be unfaithful. In fact, she commits adultery and she has children with another man. She doesn't just do that, though. She leaves him and he becomes uh, a prostitute. And then God says to him, Go get one woman. Go buy her back and bring her home. Well, what's the application? You take adultery and then move it into the spiritual. And what God says to the prophet is, that's the way Israel has behaved for you. They've been unfaithful to you. They've all about lovers of the gods. They have relationships outside of they and and unfaithful. And you know what God did? He won't mad. You see, sometimes it's easy to understand, but if you're married, that's a lot more challenging to apply. And then there are instances where it's just flat out control. That's where we find ourselves. You see, what's on the table before us this morning is slavery. The Bible does the same thing. You study the topic in Scripture. It's talked about a lot. It's talked about in a variety of applications. People entered into it in different ways. It's mentioned in both covenants, regulated the behavior of each by God. There is a kind of slavery that's expressly forbidden and condemned. I think the ESV would use the word enslavement. I think the King James would say enslavement. They would call that unholy But whatever you think about it, in fact, I'd invite you to think about it. Think about bondage. Think about domination, lack of freedom, punishment. Whatever the words slave and slavery conjures up in your mind, in fact, let me give you just a moment to conjure something up in your mind. Now, whatever that is, would you move it from the physical to the spiritual? Because God takes that concept, personifies it over here spiritually. As you do that, Move that concept to you. As you do that, move that concept to your soul, not your body. As you do that, understand Christ coming in light of that. In John chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. To which the Jews responded, we've never been in bondage physically. We've never been in bondage to any man. How do you say then, we will be free? To which Jesus responded, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the slave of sin. And the servant or slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. And if the son will therefore make you free, you will be free indeed. When Jesus came to this earth, it was not to free anybody from physical bondage. Matthew 1 and verse 21 says, She shall bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save, deliver his people from their sin. He is referred to as the Savior. What did you have him saving you from? He is the deliverer from what? Understand his invitation to come to him in that way. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls understand paul's frequent mention to himself as paul a bond servant or a slave of jesus christ what we're talking about this morning is that because you share the image of god you are not a slave to sin If you have your Bibles there in the book of Romans in chapter 6, what we would do normally is walk through this chapter. I can tell you the contents of it. There is sin and death. There is grace and law. There's righteousness and unrighteousness. There's life and death, and there's Christ, and there's slavery, and there's freedom. Now, normally, I would go through this chapter. In fact, I wrote a sermon. Got it here. I'm looking at it. You don't see it. It's long. And normally what I would do is I'd go through that sermon and then I would say, now let's make some application. And in the last three to five minutes, I try to hurriedly put in some application, but that's not what we're going to do this morning. What we're going to do this morning is to go straight to the application. We're going to try and be as practical as we can because very often you hear preachers like myself and others tell you, encourage you to change your life, to be transformed to be more like Jesus. And we use, I would, Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, you've not so learned Christ, and you take off the old man, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new man. And sometimes I've been asked, how do you do that? To which I've sometimes replied, well, you take off the old man, and you be renewed in your mind, and you put on the new man. So this morning, I'm not going to do that. We're going to get very practical and just talk about how you do that. This is not number one. It's just an introductory thought as we work up to number one. You didn't know there was an introduction after the introduction to the introduction and then a number one. You didn't know that. I didn't either. But this thought was sort of random, and I just assumed it. So let me not assume it. Let me just say it. Number one, admit you're a slave. You see, that begins to be the problem sometimes. I'll jump into even the practical. And I'll start talking to people about changing their lives, and there'll be some people who say, That ain't for me, because I ain't got no problem. So I don't want to assume that you're willing to admit this. In fact, I want to encourage you. If there is something in your life you're struggling with, you need to admit it. And you need to stop saying, Well, it's this little thing that I do. No, admit, you're a slave to it. Admit that. You cannot fix a problem you won't admit you have. Now, you might say and or suggest, well, Eric, it's not a problem for me. Like other people in slavery, you will say, I could stop at any time. Does that sound like an addicted person to you talking? I could stop at any time. Here's the reason you haven't because you can't. It's easy to say, I can stop at any time. If you want to test this, try to stop. Try to stop it. And what you will find is, very likely, it has a hold on you far stronger than you realize. You may have fooled yourself already into believing you control it, but if you try to stop it, you will see. Now let me say this before we get to number one as well. The thing in question doesn't have to be immoral. You know, sometimes when we talk about changing your life and changing and becoming a new person and changing, we we just assume it's an immoral thing in which you're engaged. It doesn't have to be. It could be amoral. That is, it doesn't have any morals at all. It could be money. Try not spending it. See if you can. It could be television. Eric, something wrong with television. Not that I know of. Just the programs people put on, but you can decide that. You got the remote. It doesn't have to be immoral, but it might just own you more than you know. How can I change? Here's number one. Think inward, not outward. Think inwardly, not outwardly. What are you trying to change? You're trying to change your mind, not just your actions. Think about changing yourself, not waiting or relying on other people to change. A lot of times, when people go about thinking about changing, what they do is they look outside of themselves and they identify the problem. But don't think that way. Don't think of controlling what is outside of you people, places, and circumstances. Fact is, they'll always be there. If you have your Bibles, look at some passages with me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here is an individual who is living in open sin. It is known both in the body and outside of the body. And notice what the Apostle Paul says. Down in verse number 9 of 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says… I wrote unto you in a letter not to associate with immoral people. And so somebody will say, you see there, Eric, he did say, don't associate with immoral people, but keep reading. He says, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. Wait, what? Yeah, I didn't mean that. Why not? He says, or with the covetous and swindlers or with the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. The people in the world are going to be the people in the world. And you're going to have to go in and among them every single day. Paul says, I wrote to you not to associate with more people, but I didn't mean them. You can't control that. You can't change that. The problem you're having is not outside of you with people. Don't think of controlling what's outside of you. Now, in fairness, it's why we say the most important word in Bible study is the word context, because in another context, you could actually hear me say, hey, watch your friends. Don't go some places. Change what you're doing. You could hear me say that, and it would also be true. Because in another context, that would be what's under discussion. Take, for instance, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Evil communications corrupt good morals. Is that true? Absolutely. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about changing you. And if you change your mind, you'll change that too. But the changing of your mind is not done by eliminating that. Think inwardly. If you can see it with your eyes, touch it with your hands, smell it with your nose, it's not your problem. It is a symptom of your problem. The problem is not outside of you. If you're going to change and transform, practically speaking, how am I going to do that? You're going to have to work on you. It's not outside of you. The problem is inside of your heart. It's your thinking. It's your feeling. It's your conscience. It's your will. It's spiritual issues that's the problem, not the physical. Again, if you have your Bible, look at Mark chapter 7 and hear this discussion had by Jesus. In Mark chapter 7, what you will find in these first 13 verses is the Pharisees' outward focus. They want to be clean. How are they going to do that? Notice verse number one. Then Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with unwashing or impure hands. That is, unwashed hands. And verse number 3 says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. Slide down to verse 6 and listen to Jesus' assessment of that. He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts, the traditions of men what is the problem if it's not outward if it's not what I can see touch taste smell if it's not outside of me what's the problem slide down to verse 14 there the Bible says after he called the crowd to him he began saying to them listen to me all of you and understand there is nothing outside of the man which can defile him, if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are they that defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd, the disciples came to him and asked for a further explanation. How is it that nothing I've been doing outside of me is the problem? I surely thought that was the problem, that item, that thing, that person, that situation. That's the problem. Jesus said, there's nothing— Outside, that's the problem. What is the problem? Verse number 18, he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and it is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles. What is the issue? Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, all the things that enslave us, evil deeds, coveting, wickedness, and well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within, and they defile the man. Yes, take off the old man, put on the new man, renew it in your mind. How do you do that? You have to change your thinking. Number two, find your why. Find your why. You already know your what. If you're struggling with something, you know what you struggle with. So what you need to do now if you're going to make a change is find out why you struggle with it. In order to change your heart, you must know your heart. Why do you do what you do? Why do you want what you want? This is one of the reasons you have to be very self-focused. Nobody else matters at this point. I'm not trying to change somebody else. I'm trying to change me. I'm trying to stop being a servant to that thing. I'm trying to stop being a slave to sin. How do I do that? I have to find out what moves me. Why am I doing it? There could be any number of reasons, some of which could include trauma, something happened to me early in my life. That could be it. Stress. When I'm overwhelmed, when I'm under a lot of stress, when anxiety hits me, I have to. That could be it. It could be seeking for love and acceptance. I was never accepted. I've never felt loved. I I, I always have searched for it. I've wanted it. I've needed it. And so, I've done these things to try to feel that. Could be that. Could be fear. I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of being exposed, they'll know, they'll find out. It could be fear, it could be being vulnerable. I'm wound so tight, I can't let anybody in. If they get in, they'll know. If they get in, they'll take advantage of me. If they get in, they'll hurt me, and my fear will have me reaching and doing that thing. And so, I've just become dependent upon that. I got it. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's self-doubt. Maybe it's low self-worth. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's dependency. I don't know what it is for you, but you have to find out. You should use this as a time of self-discovery. If indeed it is your intention to change, you have got to know why you're doing what you're doing. And at this point in your searching and in your attempts to change, you've got to be honest with yourself. This is why it could get scary. You could go back in there and find some stuff. You could go back in there and unearth some stuff, but if you're going to change it, you've got to do that. It might be the case that you suffered trauma. I certainly don't intend in any way, shape, or form to make light of it. My best guess is many people have suffered trauma in one way or another. And it might be the case that that trauma early in your life moved you to reach for, do something, this, that, or the other to soothe that trauma. And that might very well be the explanation for why you started it question, why are you still doing it? It is not good for you, if you seek to change, to use the past as the explanation for your behavior in the present. You are now whole and autonomous now. You are now free from the trauma now. And if it started you that way, got it. But now you're doing something under your control. And you can change that. Why we do things is addressed in Scripture. In fact, see it in the Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles there, look again at Matthew chapter 5. Why we do what we do is important to God because that's the way we change. In Matthew chapter 5, our Lord's first address to humanity, He addressed it. In verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. God, it. That is the physical act of having someone else's spouse. You cannot do that. Under the law of Moses, it was forbidden, and it, it carried the death penalty associated with it. And so, you cannot do that. That's what you've heard said. And notice verse 28, though, and the shift. But I say to you, That everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We move from the physical to the spiritual. We move from the outward to the inward. We move from the what to the why. Why are you looking at her? lustfully. Jesus didn't say, don't see another human being that is a female, not your wife. Isn't what he said? But when you saw her, why did you lust? The individual who struggles with lust has to under, ask, ask that question and answer it. That's in his heart, and that's a why issue. Why am I lusting? I've got to figure that out if I ever hope to change and get over my lust. You know, the reality is you could even take something spiritual and use the wrong motives with that. Turn to the book of James. Read with me chapter 4. Listen to what James says. It's possible that I could even take a spiritual thing and misappropriate it based on the intentions of my heart, based on my why. James chapter 4 beginning in verse number 1, James says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not ask, you do not have, because you do not ask. And then in verse 4 he says, you ask and do not receive, well why? Because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. What are we talking about, James? We're talking about prayer. We're talking about asking God. On the one hand, he says, the reason you don't have is because you won't ask. So full of yourself, you won't even ask God. Well, he says, that's a reason. But then he says, but even when you do ask, you can't receive? Well, why not? Because you ask with the wrong motives. What's your motive? To consume it on your own lust. The um, disciples of our Lord were Jewish people. My best understanding is the Jews were very familiar with prayer. And yet, when they saw Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting that it is a phrase rarely used by us. Teach us to pray. Who will do that? Let me study the subject of prayer. Who will do that? No, I'll just ask God, but did you know? Why you're asking him is important to him? Have you examined your why in prayer? Father, give me. Why do you want that? And what will you do with it if you get it? James says you're asking, but you're asking for the wrong motives, and therefore you're not going to get it. What's your motive? You're going to squander it on you. See how you would parent these two children. Two children ask their parents for their allowance. It's $5. I'm old. One child says, Dad, Mom, can I get my allowance, my $5? His parents says, Yeah, son. It's a little early, though. Why do you want it? Because they got a sale on chocolate. And I want to buy all of the chocolate that my $5 will get me so that I can eat it and enjoy chocolate. Second child Dad, Mom, can I have my $5 for lunch? Well, son, why do you want it? There's a child at school, and they never have any lunch. And so I'd like to take the $5, and I'd like to give it to them so that they could have something to eat. There's two children asking. One of them wants to consume it on their lust. The others want to take the father's blessings, the mother's blessings, and bless somebody else. But you're a parent. Which $5 would you give? Whose motives would you be trying to correct? Which one would you maybe say, ah, son, daughter, that right there, 5 That's not a good use for... You ask. Let me just encourage you. If you're going to pray to God, ask why I want him to do that. And then be honest about what you plan to do with it. If you're going to change, you have to find your why to the actions of your life so you can change it. Number three, deny the lie. Reject the lie. Well, what lie? The lie that sin will tell you. In the book of Romans, sin is personified, brought to life as if it were a living individual. That's Romans chapter 7. Sin, Paul says, will take advantage. Sin will do this. Sin will do that. But one of the things that sin will do is a lie to you. Sin will say, hey, this is good for you. Nobody understands you like I do. Forget what they're saying. You need this. Sin will tell you, listen, you, they don't know. Pain you've gone through, suffering you've been under. Don't even worry. I know they're talking, but you need this, and sin will just keep whispering. You got to deny this lie. It's a lie. The long-term pain is far worse than the short-term pleasure. Go back to Romans 6 and listen to Paul address that just briefly. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 20, Paul says, For when you were slaves of sin— Did you ever see yourself that way when you were coming to Jesus? Did you ever see yourself as in bondage to sin? As a slave servant dominated by sin, did you ever see yourself that way? Paul talks about it like every Christian understood that, and when they were that way, that's what he says. When you were the servants of sin, What happened when sin was your taskmaster? He says, you were free in regards to righteousness. What a play on words. That is just absolutely fantastic. You have freedom and you have slavery in the same verse. But here's the way it works. Whichever one you're a slave to, you're free in relationship to the other. And so, if you're a slave to sin, guess what? You have no association with righteousness. You're free. You have no regard for right. It had nothing to do with you. You had nothing to do with it because you're a slave to sin. You're free from righteousness. Conversely, if you'll become a slave to righteousness, you'll be free from sin. But when you were a free, a slave to sin, here's Paul's question. It's in the next verse. He asked this question. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving? From the things of which now you are ashamed. What benefits were you getting out of that bondage to sin? Sin will lie to you and tell you, I'm good for you. I'm good to you. I'm good for you. And you need me. It is an enslaver. It's in bondage. It's holding you in oppression. It's keeping you d- and it's telling you, I'm so good to you. Don't you agree? Sin is everything but good. Sin is destructive. Sin comes to a family, and if it stays and grows, it will destroy the family. Sin will destroy anything it gets a foothold in and grows. It will destroy it. It has improved nothing, it's destructive. Why is Paul and the, all of the writers in the New Testament writing so urgently to the church? Sin's in there. And if sin stays, the church will be destroyed. Chapter 1 of Corinthians, brethren, there can be no division. Why not? It'll destroy the place. Chapter 5, brethren, you got to get that immorality out of there. Why a little leaven will leaven, though? It'll destroy the place. It's destructive. You know what it's doing to you? It's destroying you while whispering I'm good for you sin is dark Jesus says they hate the light now why do you have to do everything in the darkness why do you have to keep it secret because sin can't get to the light it'll expose it if people find out that's why we all do it in secret that's all why we all look over our shoulders That's why we all wait for time to be alone. That's why we all get off to ourselves, because we know it's dark. I have to be under the covers by myself alone, and I have to be on lookout. I have to make sure nobody knows this. Now, sin is lying to me, telling it's good, but sin's dark. You know what Jesus is? I am the light. Sin wants nothing to do with it. And it wants nothing to do with Jesus. Sin is deceitful. It'll lie to you. Jesus said, there's no truth. It's deceitful. It'll tell you it's good when it's bad. It'll tell you it's light when it's dark. It'll tell you anything it needs to to keep you under its grasp. It's deceitful and it's damnable. Please understand, it's seeking to destroy your soul. It wants to take you to hell. That's what sin is. If you trace sin back, you'll find the devil. Sin is devilish. The origin of sin finds its place in the devil. Jesus said of the devil, he is a liar from the beginning. There is no truth in him. When he speaks of a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Look at Romans chapter 7 and verse number 13. Sometimes when you read about the law of Moses, you have to be impressed with all of the sacrifices and all of the requirements. You you have to imagine how much blood was shed for the lambs and how many sacrifices had to be offered and how much and under the weight of all of those regulations and obligations. Why was all of that the case? Sometimes when people contemplate the law of Moses, they just think God was mean. He didn't want people to do anything. So he gave them this list of rules. Actually Look at verse 12 and get this biblical description of the law. Verse number 12 then says, So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The commandment is a good thing. The law is holy and righteous. Deuteronomy 10 and verse number 13, the Bible says, That law was given for their good. But sin... What was God hoping to accomplish by all of those regulations and obligations? Verse number 13. Therefore did that which is good, the law, because of death become a cause of death for me, may it never be. Rather, it was sin. It was sin. Why? In order that it might be shown to be sin. Affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. If you're going to change your life, you've got to see sin for what it is. It's not good, it's not something you should keep doing. It's ultimately going to destroy you and your soul. Number four, embrace the danger of what will happen. If you don't change, ask yourself this where will this lead me? What is the end if I don't change? Now, it might be the case again that because of sin's effectiveness, it might be the case that you might be led to believe I can keep it secret. Nobody will ever know. In fact, I've been successful up to this point and nobody knows. And I'll just keep going forward, and I'll just do a better job of hiding. I'll make sure to do this and to do that, and to make sure nobody ever knows. Okay, what if you do that? And what if nobody ever knows? Is that the end? That's not the end. In verse number 16 of Romans 6, Paul says this, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? What's the end? What are our options? Either of sin resulting in death. What's the result of this if I keep going? Death. But I'll keep hiding it from everybody. It's death. And in verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Friends, in order to change, you might ask yourself, What if I don't? What if I persist in continually going down this road? How will it end? Here is one of the amazing things the Bible does for us it tells us a start point of something, enter. And then it tells us the journey, walk. And then it will tell us the destination, the end. And everybody in life has entered one way or another, one gate or another, and everybody is walking one way or another, and they're doing it right now every day, and sometimes because the journey is long, because it seems like I've been successful in hiding, and because it appears, it feels like there's been no appreciable damage to me, I'll just keep going. But you've already been told the end. This will result in death. At some point you're going to leave this earth physically, but more importantly, You're going to lose your soul. What will happen if I don't change? In order to change, you'll want to consider the end if you don't. Well, we've come to that point in the sermon where we got to stop. No, 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 don't try to stop me. Listen, what we tried to do this morning is give you some practical things to use to change your mind and change your life. You are not a person who is intended to be a slave to sin for the rest of your life. You can say no. You can stop. You can change. In this very chapter, we didn't talk about it. Paul talks about how. That would be verses 3 through 5. He says we are buried with Christ in baptism. We're buried into his death. And as Christ rose from the dead, he conquered death. You know what Paul says? Takes that same language and within the same discussion, he says in that same way, when we rise, we conquer sin. We die to sin. Sin is not your ruler, it's not your master, it's not intended to be. Christ is. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, friends, we invite you this morning to become a Christian. Our elders, week in, week out, they hold up a copy of God's Word and they say, this is the book we go by. And they urge, this is all we want to go by. And so when it comes to the plan of salvation, where else would we turn? but to see what God says in His Word. What He says is believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. To repent. Change your heart. Change your mind. Change the way you're thinking. Get a new mind. Confess the name of Jesus and be buried with Christ in baptism so you can rise and be a new creation. If you've never done that, when we sing a song in just a moment, If you have a need to do that, please come down the aisle, see one of our elders, talk to someone, and we can help you in any way we can. We will. But before we end, brothers and sisters, you do know that Romans chapter 6 and the book of Romans was not written to non-Christians. He's talking to us. The very people in verses 3 through 5, have already done it. And to those people, he's talking about slavery and freedom to sin. Don't get into Christ and then keep serving sin. You're not intended to be a slave to sin. Christ has made you free. Let's live like free people. Let's live like Jesus. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.